Two years before, the wicked people of the city had tried to kill him. Now the Lord had commanded him to return. But how could he possibly return? After much prayer, Abinadi decided to go back into the city. But this time, he would go in disguise. This is Between the Lines of the Book of Mormon. And we're your hosts. I'm Jay Harris. And I'm Andrew Harris. And we welcome you to our conversation today. Andrew, we sort of picture Abinadi as being this old man dressed in rags. I think that's because of the Arnold Freeberg painting that has become so famous. But yeah. uh, do we know anything about Abinadi and his appearance? Nope. Not, not really much at all. We know that he did go in disguise, though, which is... It's an interesting fact about him. He might have been old. He might have been young. We don't really know his age, but I always had the impression, because he dies in the end, and we know that, that maybe he went in there knowing that he was going to die and that he didn't care about his life. But it's possible that because he went in disguise, that maybe he was kind of worried about his life and thought, I'm going to go and hide out kind of, and I'll say what I have to say, but I don't want to die here. And he may have very easily been a young man. He may have been a young father with young children at home, with a wife and kids. Yeah. Uh, we just don't know. We, some, we, we sort of like to think that he didn't have anybody else that he was living for. Therefore, his life wasn't as valuable. But we don't know that. But we know that he d didn't want to die, that he went there for one purpose, and that was because God told him to do it, and yeah. he was obedient. In chapter 11, we're told that the people were, were after him. They wanted to kill him. They did, yeah. So it wasn't just King Noah that wanted him dead. It was all the people of the kingdom who he had told that they needed to repent. They resented that and uh, were after his life as much as King Noah was. When King Noah heard about Abinadi's preaching, he sent his guards out to capture Abinadi and to bring him into the palace. He was thrown into prison. He was brought to stand before the king and his priests who acted as lawyers for the king. I think it's interesting to think about what it might have looked like because we do have a little bit of a description of, of where these priests sat on these luxurious chairs or breastplates, it says, where they leaned over and they were up high above the, all the other people so they could look down on them. And I kind of imagine like this circular room where there's like a pit in the middle, basically, where the accuser stood and... They all looked down on him and said, go ahead, defend yourself. Yeah. And it's interesting that one of the priests stood up and he said, O king, what great evil hast thou done, or what great sins have thy people committed, that we should be condemned of God or judged of this man? And now, O king, behold, we are guiltless. Can you imagine that? Mm. Guiltless. And thou, O king, hast not sinned. Therefore this man has lied concerning you, and he has prophesied in vain. Yeah. What a bunch of minions they were. <laughs> yeah. One of the priests then started the trial by asking Abinadi to interpret a scripture for them. Why would he do that? Yeah, and that was kind of a mistake. And maybe he didn't realize that. Maybe he thought that he was asking this clever question. But I think what they were getting at is, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. And it goes on and it talks about some of the other wonderful things from the gospel. But they were interpreting it, I think, to say people who publish good news and who are happy and, and who are saying party and have fun, you know, like yeah. 
the way they interpret it is we're doing this. We're out there publishing peace and publishing good news yeah. to everyone. We're telling everyone you're righteous and you're going to have great times. And, you know, we're, we're happy people. I think the priest thought he would trick Abinadi into agreeing with what they were doing. Or maybe if he disagreed, he thought he could say, no, you're, th- you're wrong. You know? You're throwing a wet towel on top of our fun. Yeah. I think it's a little bit like some people today even believe they take scriptures or they take good and they twist it to mean something that's bad. And and I think they're saying, it's okay if you sin, you can repent, we can have fun and you don't have to worry about it so much. You know, like they're trying to take the gospel's good news. You, You should be happy. Don't worry about sinning. Go out and sin all you want because we can always repent. They were taking scriptures that were wonderful scriptures about rejoicing in the Lord's gospel and they were perverting those scriptures. Now, it's interesting because Abinadi didn't just interpret the scripture for them. He began his defense not by a statement, but by asking a question. And he said, what teach ye this people? And I'm sure the priests could have responded, look, Buster, we're not on trial here. You're the one that's on trial. We ask the questions. You don't ask us questions. We're the smart lawyers. But instead, they couldn't resist. And they answered Abinadi and said, We teach the law of Moses. And Abinadi said, You know what the law of Moses teaches? Have you read those laws that Moses gave to Israel? So he started to teach them all the Ten Commandments. Basically, it can be summarized. He says, Why do you set your hearts upon riches? Why do you commit whoredoms and spend your strength with harlots, yea, and cause the people to commit sin? And that the Lord has caused to send me to prophesy against his people, Yea, even great evil against his people. So he said, you're doing all these evil things. You're not keeping the commandments. You say you know them, and you say you're teaching the people, but you're not keeping any of the commandments, and you're not causing the people to keep the commandments. The reason why we have all this is because Alma later would record it. But Alma sees this, and he says, Noah durst not lay his hands upon him, for the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and his face shone with exceeding luster, even as Moses' did while in the Mount of Sinai. And so he saw, he knew not only that, you know, this guy's powerful, he knew that it was the spirit of the Lord that was on him. And I think at this point, Alma was saying, you know what? I need to repent. In verse seven, he says, I perceive that it cuts you to the heart because I tell you the truth concerning your iniquities. So it had, it had really cut them all to the heart. Yeah, Alma was cut to the heart and he said, oh man, I need a change. I need to repent. (laughs) And then The priests of Noah, they probably were cut to the heart too. And they said, oh, he's right. Oh, we need to get him. (laughs) (laughs) We need to kill him. (laughs) Yeah, we need to stop this guy from telling us to repent. (laughs) Yeah, quite a different response to a call to repentance. Abinadi now realized that he had King Noah's attention and the attention of the priests. And so he decided to continue on with his preaching. He turned to a familiar scripture found in the book of Isaiah, This is a favorite scripture of ours. Do you want to go over that, Andrew? It's found in Isaiah 53. So Isaiah foresees the coming of Christ, but he talks about it. It's really interesting the way Isaiah talks about this chapter. Because when Isaiah is speaking, he sees it almost like it's in the past. He he talks about it like it's all past tense. He says things like, we hid our faces from him. And that's another interesting part is that he says, we. He doesn't say, I hid my face from him or you hid your face from him. I think he's talking for us all. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. That's all of us. 
and he talks about him being rejected of men and a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. And then it says, the tense changes here, where it's not, we did this. It says, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. So when you take his soul and use that as a sacrifice for your sins, and that sounds like a bad thing. I think sometimes we think about the atonement as being like, I'm putting, if I use that sacrifice, I'm somehow hurting Christ. But it says the opposite. It says, then he shall see his seed or his child. You become his child when you use that sacrifice. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul. So he'll see that price he's paid, price he's paid, and he shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. So just like a, a mother going through childbirth, where she goes through this pain, and that pain is caused by the child being born. But when the mother holds that baby in her arm, she's not at all angry at that child being born. She went through that on purpose because she wanted that child, and now she has that seed. She's given life to that child. Exactly. And Christ has given us life. And so he becomes a parent, a father for us. And he's pleased with that. He's not angry at us. He wants us to, to use that sacrifice that he's made on our behalf so that, so that we can change and grow and become like him. As Abinadi continued his teaching, I think he grew a little frustrated because they didn't seem to be listening. And he said, I would that ye should understand that God himself shall come down among the children of men and shall redeem his people. Yeah, so as he said that, King Noah realized, now we've got him. Abinadi had just blasphemed in the eyes of King Noah. King Noah now had cause to take him, sentence him, and put him to death. Abinadi now sensed that he had the attention of King Noah and all of his priests, and so he decided it was now time to interpret that scripture they, that they had asked him about. They had interpreted the scripture as anyone who brings good news, you can then celebrate and have a good time. Abinadi explained that this wasn't all, that this was a special news, and that the prophets of old had brought this news and had delivered it to the people. And eventually, God himself would come and be the publisher of this news, which was that salvation was being provided by the Savior of mankind, who would pay for the sins of the world so that they would not be eternally damned. Yeah. And why do you think Isaiah specifically singled out feet? It seems kind of like a weird thing to talk about, the feet of the, the publisher. The feet being so beautiful. <laughs> That's yeah. right. I think that message was, they are delivering this news. They're coming from the mountains to deliver this news. And how welcome they are as they come to deliver the news, you think? Yeah, yeah. and I, when I think of the mountains, you think of the mountain of the Lord, you know, the temple or from on high. It's a message from God. So I think this is a message from Jesus himself is delivering it to us. He's the publisher. He's the one who actually is going to bring salvation to Israel. And how we should rejoice. We should yeah. be so excited. I mean, this is awesome. the means of salvation. This is no wonder we're celebrating and, and thrilled and overjoyed with this. Yeah. So the prophets of old brought that message. Christ himself came and brought the message of peace and salvation. And today his watchmen or 
the missionaries continue to spread that word and take that message yeah. to the world. And the apostles who, who are special witnesses of Christ go out through, and that's their, their sole purpose is to testify of Christ and his message. And how beautiful upon the mountains are their feet. King Noah was then satisfied that he had cause to put Abinadi to death. So he sent his guards down, they arrested Abinadi, threw him into prison, and three days later he was brought back before King Noah. And King Noah said, Abinadi, I have found cause to put you to death, unless you will retract the words that you said. And Abinadi said, No, I can't do that because I've told the truth. Now, Abinadi had been faithful to the commandments, had done exactly what he was commanded. Did God save his life? Did God then find a way for Abinadi to escape this terrible king? Well, we know he could have, but he didn't. He let him go ahead and and kill Abinadi. Why would God do that? Why wouldn't God... I mean, this faithful prophet, why wouldn't God save his life? Well, and we can ask that, but it's happened not just to Abinadi. It's happened a lot of times to different prophets. They've been killed. Joseph Smith, for instance, was martyred. And they've sealed their testimony with their own blood. Yeah. And had God interfered and saved Abinadi's life, he would have taken away King Noah's agency. Yeah. And rather than do that... God lets, not just King Noah, but lets all of us make those decisions that damn ourselves. But at the same time, while Noah's decision condemned him, Abinadi's decision made him eternally blessed. Yeah, that's right. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and next time we'll be talking about Alma Sr. and the great influence that Abinadi had had on him and the amazing life that he lived. Until then, enjoy your reading.